Greg Elman of asacredjourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. This episode is brought to you by my upcoming Pilgrim Principles online course, a seven-week journey with fellow seekers exploring further what it means to live like a pilgrim in everyday life. Registration opens August 29th, and the course will begin September 30th. Be the first to know when registration is open when you sign up to receive updates at sacredjourney.net. Welcome back to Pilgrim Podcast. Today I am talking to Sean Askinosi, who is the founder of Askinosi Chocolate, a small batch artisan chocolate company based in Springfield, Missouri, near my hometown of Bolivar, Missouri, where I grew up. He works directly with cocoa farmers around the world. Sean is also the author of Meaningful Work, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling, and Feed Your Soul, and is a family brother at Assumption Abbey, a Trappist monastery near Ava, Missouri. So welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I yes, don't think I knew that about Bolivar. Yeah, a fun fact. That's, yeah, in that's fact, pretty cool. my husband's from Springfield, and we, we lived there for a year um, early on in our marriage. And so I'm sure we've got some similar connections. And of course, yeah. I knew about your chocolate oh, everywhere cool. well, I went. So you. it was so fun to hear about your new book. And I'm so glad to be able to talk to you today and learn about the spiritual connections and the work you do as well. Thank you. Well, uh, I like to start with inviting guests to share about their spiritual journey, and I often find that um, the topic that we're exploring finds its way into their too, since I know, and I'm sure you believe that the spiritual journey and our vocational work are so, so intricately combined in many ways. So um, what would you like to share about your spiritual journey with listeners? The um, My father was raised Jewish in New York City joined the Marine Corps and lived all over the world. And they sent him to Springfield, Missouri, where he met my mom at Drury University, who was a Southern Baptist farm girl. So um, when they married, they decided to become Episcopalian. <laughs> so mm. um, I was raised in the Episcopal Church. And uh, in fact, that church is a block from where I am right now, my chocolate factory. And um, oh, wow. So then my dad got sick. He had lung cancer and um, they switched churches to another Episcopal church in town that was actually a charismatic Episcopal church. And yes, those existed, hmm. um, especially in the 70s. It was kind of a thing. Well, and of course, you're in the uh, hotbed of Pentecostalism as well with the Assemblies of God church based in that area too, I'm yes. sure. Yes, indeed. A great influence. And so... They, uh, one of the reasons I think for switching is when my dad was sick with, with cancer, uh, this, this church, the, the charismatic Episcopal church had, a, had a real, a very, very strong prayer group that, that mm. existed within mm -hmm. the church. And they, um, would come over to our house at all hours of the day and night. And I was, I guess, 12 at this time. And, uh, they would pray for his healing and, they were kind of uh, mean. I remember feeling mm -hmm. that they weren't very kind about it all. And mm -hmm. what I what I'm saying is that they were 
They were loud. They spoke in tongues. And I'm not suggesting that people who speak in tongues are mean. I'm just saying that the, the, they were claiming his healing uh, mm. in, in sort of the forefront or a part of this prosperity theology yeah. um, that we're all familiar with. And as he got sicker, it seemed as though their prayers grew louder. And at one mm. point, they, uh, the leader of the group told me to never speak about death with my father that if I did speak of death, it would be a sign of doubt and that Jesus wouldn't heal him. And so um, every time my dad would would try to say something to me about this, I pushed him away and said, you know, dad, please don't talk like that or you won't be healed. And so um, when when he was on a, he went on a church retreat, uh, men's retreat to Assumption Abbey, um, mm. this monastery near Springfield. And, uh, he was there for a few days and then he came home and, um, and then that night that he got home, he died and I was with him and it was sudden, even though he had cancer all over his body, he tried a case in court the week before he was a lawyer like me. Mm. And, uh, so standing at his bedside, uh, that night, you know, I, I could tell he was dying. I mean, it was pretty he had a stroke. The cancer was in his brain. And I out loud begged God to not let him die. I begged God to let him mm-hmm. live. And with the greatest desperation that yeah. I could, uh, you know, imagine. And then I, at that point I was 14 and I had been taking care of him as best I could. My mom could not bring herself to give him pain shots. So when I was 13, 14 years old, I was giving him Demerol shots day and night. And, um, and anyway, he died. And then, um, (laughs) to make matters worse, and I don't tell this often, but I think to your audience will understand what I'm saying. So he was dead. It was about midnight. The prayer group got over there about two o'clock in the morning, two Mm -hmm. ladies from the prayer group took me upstairs to my dad, mom and dad's bedroom where he was laying dead. And they brought me up there and they tried to raise him from the dead. Wow. Yeah. And it was a very intense experience. And they, the women looked at me basically at the end of this effort and just said that he didn't want to come back. And, you know, I mean, so that is a long answer to your question, but that's really the formation of my, um, my, my life as a Christian. And, um, I spent about 25 years, um, not detaching from God, but essentially uh, having my own pact with God that I could prove something by yeah. the things that I accomplished and the money that I made and the wins that I could notch on my belt um, to prove that I didn't need him. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. then I, I, you know, I was a, I was a criminal defense lawyer for nearly 20 years before I started this chocolate business. And the path of finding this vocation was five years. And it really kind of started with my daughter, Lauren, who is my co-author in the book that you mentioned. Thank you. Um, And she, when she was nine, she read the book Tuesdays with Maury to me out loud. Hmm. And I was this, you know, hard charging type a really driven trial lawyer and the book just brought me to tears about every other page. 
and it changed my life. And God spoke to me through that book. And, um, I have never been the same since. Mm -hmm. Wow. When I know too, that, um, I imagine you visited the Assumption Abbey after this time too. I know you talk about that in the book, that continuation of the journey and kind of the book into your Mm -hmm. father's experience Mm -hmm. there. And you picked up and even requested the same room. Wasn't that correct? Yes. Yes. And I I called, I I was not interested in that place because at the funeral, um, his priest, who was a good guy, um, who was also on that retreat said that he wanted to tell me a story. And he said, your dad at the Abbey the night before he was, we left, he, he came across the hall and told me, he said, Don, he said, I wasn't dreaming. I've, I've been in my room praying and I was just visited by three angels. And they told me I was going to die, that my family would be protected and that everything would be okay. And when, when he told me that at the funeral as a 14 year old, I could care less. I mean, yeah. I wanted, I wanted mm-hmm. my dad back. I didn't care mm-hmm. about an angel story. Well, fast forward 25 years and I cared. So mm-hmm. as you said, I, as part of this journey to this discovery, um, I did go to the Abbey and I did request, well, and, and they were kind enough. The, the Abbot sent me the guest book page that my father had signed in on all those years before. This is really a pilgrimage (laughs) for you. So I went there and I was kind of frightened to go because I did not really want to visit from the angels telling me I was going to die or, really anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, but that then, then started many, many years of retreat at the Abbey. And then now I'm, I'm, I'm really connected to the place. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to know more about what it means to even be a family brother, but first let's start with the chocolate company that, um, uh, that was birthed out of this, uh, season of exploration and self-discovery. The, I, when I was a lawyer, I had no hobbies. And uh, so when <laughs> not, I, not when enough I, time, I suppose. Well, well, I loved what I did. I mm-hmm. loved, I loved the law. I loved the courtroom. I loved yeah. preparing for it. And it didn't even seem like a job to me because I, I cared so much about it. But yeah. so I decided when I stopped loving it, that I needed to get out of it. And, mm. but I didn't have any hobbies. So I started grilling on a big green egg so it's a good uh, step. <laughs> yes, yes. And I thought, well, maybe my next job or or vocation would have something to do with food. Mm. And uh, um, this was a five-year-long process of trying to figure it out. And at points, I was truly desperate. And it seemed like the more desperate I became to find the next thing, the further away it was from my grasp. Mm. And um, mm. so I was, you know, doing this hobby and and then... I prayed every day a very simple prayer that went like this, dear God, please give me something else to do. Mm. And sometimes I would say it many times a day, but um, through this hobby of cooking and grilling and then finally baking and making chocolate desserts, one day when I was driving by myself to the funeral of a distant relative nearby, um, not far from Bolivar, um, Mm. I, I, um, got this idea. Well, what about making chocolate from scratch? Not knowing it came from a bean, not knowing that pods Hmm. grew on the equator. I had no no idea. But within three months of that little light bulb, I was in the Amazon uh, studying how farmers influence the flavor of chocolate by how they harvest these beans. Hmm. And then I started to wind down my law practice 
which took a year and then tried to learn about where to acquire equipment and then became one of the first bean to bar chocolate makers in America. Wow. Well, and what's amazing to me about that story is um, on the side, you have this search for meaning going on as you search for a new um, career, new vocation, and this kind of spiritual element to it too. And it seems like you didn't know how much of an impact even on those farmers that this work would come to be, that there's such meaning beyond, you know, enjoying a delicious bar of chocolate in creating chocolate and in this business. I didn't, I did not know, you're right. And it was, and I, at the time I was not very comfortable with mystery hmm. and um, I've, I've grown to become not only um, accepting of it, but, but pursuing it and, and, um, but it's, um, still can be a struggle, um, mm. for me, but within this mystery, I, I wanted to honor the um, vocations within the vocations. Um, mm-hmm. and that is that, yes, I wanted to make great chocolate, but I also had a vocation within that of working directly with farmers to honor my grandparents who were farmers uh, oh, wow. in Southwest Missouri. And, and they were, they were what some would call simple people. They weren't highly educated, but they worked hard and loved their neighbors and they were kind people. And, and uh, I, I didn't realize the kind of treasure that they were until unfortunately after they both had mm-hmm. died. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, so the vocation within the vocation is to work directly with farmers around the world yeah. and honor my grandparents. And the second vocation um, within the vocation of chocolate is to work with students. And um, there's a genesis, the, there's a genesis story there of working with students. And if we have time, we can get to it. But, and so they all, it's kind of like, sort of like, I mean, there are, there are monasteries in Europe. There's a, a quote that I have in the book about the monks saying, you know, that we're, we're brewers in order to be monks. We're not monks mm. in order to be brewers. Hmm. And, and in my case, it's not quite that pure, but, but I can say that the, the vocation of working with farmers and students supports the vocation of making great chocolate wow. and the huh. vocation of making great chocolate supports the vocation in a circular sense of working with farmers and students. Mm. And so one of the things we say here is that it's not about the chocolate, it's about the chocolate. And mm. so you know, you just, I mean, we could look, we could look at the time that you and I've been talking in this conversation and almost none of it has been, I mean, not none, but very little has been about chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's about these other things that swirl in and out and around it that, yeah. uh, that, that for me personally, uh, add a depth and richness to, um, my daily work life. Mm. Well, and it reminds me too of, um, that, Benedictine saying, which I know you reference St. Benedict a lot in, in the book that, or is it ora et labora? Yes. My prayer be Mm -hmm. my work and my work be my prayer. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm. That's right. And that's, it's, uh, I don't want to kid myself about that. I mean, it's these, uh, you know, taking, um, monastic governance in the form of the rule of Benedict is, I, I, I want to pull the threads from, 
that as best I can, realizing that I'm in a for-profit company yeah. mm-hmm. that is not inhabited by monks and nuns. So, um, you know, there, there are things though that we can do and, and, and pull from that without, yeah. you know, being sort of fantastical about it. Yeah. Well, I'd love to know, well, first I guess bean to bar literally means you source the beans yes. and then you, you make the chocolate to completion. Right. Um, so tell me a bit about uh, those relationships that you've developed that have become such a meaningful part of your work that have become almost prayer in a sense and what some of those trips are like, maybe even that, that first one um, where you were discovering what goes into chocolate. The first one was about 12 years ago and uh, it was really transformative in the sense that I'd never been in primary forest. I know you have, uh, at least I think you have in Uganda, mm-hmm. um, but I've never, I'd never been in primary forest and I'd certainly never been in the Amazon. And uh, although I'd traveled um, around the world, I hadn't, and it was, I, w- I think it really was maybe my first kind of creation experience where I'm here in the jungle and I had this overwhelming sense of this thing being bigger than me. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, as a successful trial lawyer, you cannot, well, you can't be a successful trial lawyer, lawyer without an ego the size of a small mountain. And so, um, that was no small feat for me to have this <laughs> sense of something bigger than me, you know? Mm. And, and, and so it really was, um, a turning point for me to just sit there and realize where I was, you know, and that I just had no control over it. And, 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 and it was just, um, in, in many ways hard to describe because I, I'd never really had that kind of experience before. And the, uh, but the people, um, are, the, the sort of trigger for me, even more Mm. than the place, um, Mm. or the bean, of course I want good cocoa beans, but I'm really in pursuit of relationships. And so just a few days ago, I returned from my 40th origin trip since I started the business. And, and this was a meeting with a group of cocoa farmers in Tanzania. And I took 15 high school students with me and some other adults. Um, and we've been taking students as a part of um, this chocolate university project that we have since 2010 and to meet these cocoa farmers and to let them uh, sort of peek inside the kind of radical hospitality that is offered by mm. the farmers in this village in remote Tanzania. And I've been dealing with these farmers and working with them since, well, since 2010 and um, just a few weeks before that, I was in the Amazon and in Ecuador. In the case of Ecuador, I've been buying beans from the same farmer for 11 years. Wow. And then and then a few, a couple of months before that, I was in the Philippines and buying beans. And it was my 10th year anniversary with this farmer. Hmm. And so um, the, the most recent one, I can just say like last week, for example, in, in Tanzania, the the farmers said last week, and they've said this before, we, we, we work with them not just on improving quality of cocoa beans and helping them with harvest and this kind of thing, but we also work and do some community development projects with this small farmer group in their village. 
and we're in the process of helping them build a, a, a preschool. It's called uh-huh. a check. It's called a Chekachea in Swahili, and uh, hmm. our students put on a a, a day camp for oh, five to seven year olds. So we had three hundred five to seven year olds mm-hmm. um, that we were responsible for in a day camp, and and the farmers were there to help kick this off. And they were saying in one of the meetings that we had that I'm I'm not a a customer or a um, just an arm's length cocoa bean buyer, but that I'm their brother. And so, Mm -hmm. and of course this is all in the midst of, you know, you're having a, just what you would think is just a mundane business meeting and they stand up and start singing and dancing, which would be, which is our students were just completely blown away by that. Mm -hmm. That There, here's a business meeting in this village. You're talking about a contract. And at the end they're like singing and dancing and, and hollering and, you know, and, and so, the reason I'm telling you this story is because um, there, the, the relationship. So when I'm with these farmers, and there are a couple that I have a, a deep relationship with, they there's a, a, a sort of transcendent. There are transcendent moments in in the day and in our relationship during even just last week. Yeah. In which I knew that my grandparents mm. were, were there. Yeah. They were there. Yeah. And you can't, you, 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 you can't trade that. I mean, that's no. not, my business could fall in a hole tomorrow. It could, I mean, we're a tiny little 16 person company and we we're profitable and we share profits with farmers, but who knows? I mean, I don't have some big savings account or anything and something could happen to my company next week. I don't know, but nobody's mm. going to take that from me. Mm-hmm. the experience yeah. of this, this, you know, working with these farmers and having these experiences. I, I mean, look, it takes over 50 hours door to door to get to the village. It takes me 45 hours to get to the Philippines. I don't fly business class. I don't have the money to do that, but I can tell you that I still love it. Yeah. I, I still love the going. And mm-hmm. I know you can, can relate to that because oh, it's, it's your passion as well. Yeah. Well, and I imagine, you know, certainly your involvement in their work has impacted their lives through your investment mm-hmm. um, and paying the fair wage for for their beans. How has, over the past 12 years, how has your life changed apart from your work? Just, I think, even your, your spirit um because of these relationships, because of these borders, these um, even classes, these um, nationalities and races that have been crossed to form these bonds. The, the, um, the thing that has changed, I would say, is, and I'm actually in the midst of writing about this right now, for my little blog that I probably have three followers on my blog, but anyway, well, you can um, share it here. Well, yeah, yeah. But the, 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 the thing I think that has changed or I should say grown and expanded would be, um, on these trips, uh, in particular Tanzania, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other spots, but in particular Tanzania, um, I have been, um, given the chance 
to experience um, the divine mm. for a very just a moment, a glimpse, yeah. Yeah, a glimpse. It's a glimpse of the divine. And what's happened is that it, the, that experience has then um, taught me to watch out for it and to be aware and to even have a sense when it's coming. Mm. And this is hard to describe, but, <clears throat> but um, I've actually been in, in, in a couple of situations in Tanzania in the last 10 years. And I, I have experienced heaven wow. on, on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's, as I said, it's momentary, it's a glimpse. And um, it's, it's just this glimpse. And so now when I go, before I go on a trip, there are, I will spend some time saying, well, what's it going to be? You know, where, when is it going to happen? Mm-hmm. When is this going to mm-hmm. happen? Anticipating. And, yes, anticipating mm-hmm. the experience of the divine. Um, and yeah. but and then I'll even get little signals of, for instance, we were preparing this day camp for kids, and we were only preparing for about 150 kids. And like a week before we left, the farmer said, "Well, you better count on 500 kids." Well, mm-hmm. which <laughs> and I got that sense at that point. I got the sense, and I said, "Well." This I, I, this is great. This is great news, and I have this. I have a feeling I'm going to experience the divine somewhere in that. Well, I didn't. It was. I mean, it was a great. It was great. I mean, the day day camp was literally a week ago today. It was awesome, but it it wasn't where I experienced it. And so what I'm what I'm saying is that these little signals, yeah, are. Um, I, I, in other words, I know kind of around when it's going to happen. Mm. And and so that's what happened on the trip. It wasn't the day camp. It was something else. And so that I think would be probably the biggest change yeah. is that is because I didn't ever have that before. And, um, I, I kind of know what it feels like. I know when it's coming mm. and then I know when it's gone and yeah. I, I know what it was. And I also now have a sense of a practice of how to go back to it. But what I haven't perfected in my aspiration is two things. One, to um, have the awareness and open heartedness to experience it down the block, not Mm. 10,000 miles away. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. one. And two is how to integrate that experience better into yeah. my daily life that would be expressed by the fruits of the spirit of in particular kindness. Mm. So that is my current aspiration. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too that throughout this time that you've been traveling and developing these relationships, I know your relationship with Assumption Abbey has deepened. And so I know that's another place where you go to somewhere and probably experience it mm-hmm. more readily in that um, place of seclusion. And yet mm-hmm. um, I'm, I feel certain that that's been part of what's opened you up in these ways. I think so. The, the, uh, my spiritual director is an 86-year-old priest that has been praying the Psalms since 1952 as a monk. And uh, um, he's 
really been almost like a father to me for the last 18 years. And, um, right. I'm not thinking I'm, I'm planning. I'm, I may go there the day after tomorrow just for the day, but, um, mm. yeah. So I've been a family brother there for about five years. I live with yeah. the monks when I'm there. I follow their schedule. I'm not like in the old days, I was a guest. I was a mm. retreatant, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but now I live behind the cloister when I'm there in my cell. And, um, it's interesting, you know, the, the, um, the, the work that I've done there and the practice that I have while I'm there, um, I think what's interesting about it is there's a lot of, um, learning when I'm there and there's a lot, there's a, there's a, how can I say it? It's the, it's muscle development. It's a, mm, it's a mm-hmm. workout. Yeah. And, and what I have found recently in the beginning of this, I was frustrated because it, in other words, I, I wasn't hearing from God. I didn't have those divine experiences at the Abbey um, as I did in the early days. And I was frustrated by that because I was ready for it. Mm. And now what I, I, I've come to this sense that it's a place of, of rest for me, but it's also, it's a place of it, the best way I can describe it is it's, it's a place of, of workout. It's a place for me to be mm-hmm. talking with my spiritual director and others. And uh, it's a check-in because yeah. I, I know that for whatever reason, you know, maybe we can explore this, but it's, my place of currently my place of experiencing the divine is out there. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's in the, in what, um, some theologians describe as the low places. Mm. That's that's where I encounter Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the ways in which to weave that back, Mm Mm-hmm into everyday life. Yeah. It's a thread. It's a thread. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, I have the, the first stitch, you know, in Mm. in this case was last week, you know, in, 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 in an experience that I had. And so I'm, 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 I now I'm holding the needle with this stitch and saying, okay, I'm back in the quote real world. Where am I going to stitch that? You know, and how is it going to, how is it going to incorporate into my, Mm. into my daily life? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And it seems so important today, especially in Christian cultures in particular, where people do some work in different areas of the world and have meaningful experiences. And yet so quickly upon return, they enter back into their Western mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. and yeah. aren't able to locate that again. Yeah. And um, I was going to use a a crude word, but I won't. If, 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 if you, if, if I'm granted a sacred moment, Mm. you know, in Tanzania, and then I dishonor it by coming back into the real world by acting Mm. like a jerk. Mm -hmm. Well, then I'm, it's, it's not honoring of that moment at all. It's and desecrating, so, I suppose, right. yes, by definition. Right. Mm. So that I think is the, and, and that is my, that's my, that's my path. That, that's my current path. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, but I'm not, but I, I think it's also important 
that we be gentle with ourselves mm -hmm. and not push too hard on that because it's important to, this is a process. I mean, yeah. the first is to be open and aware and that is a practice that, that mm -hmm. it doesn't That's that muscle just you're happen. exercising, right, isn't it? Right, right, exactly. And mm. so then this, this surrender and openness, and then we have this experience and then we're, we're, um, you know, we, we have a responsibility then to, to honor it in our daily lives. And yeah. that's, that's what we do as humans. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely see that honoring at least of the relationships that you're forming and even the packaging of your chocolate bars. I know each package has an, a photo, right? And even mm -hmm. yeah. a, Those are an introduction. Mm -hmm. Those are people. Those are the lead farmers. Two of the yeah. four farmer groups we work with are led by women. It's very important to us that we, mm. my daughter is, this is a real passion of hers that we support women entrepreneurs around the world. And, and, uh, so it's, it's a important principle to our company. And we're just last week, we were with our empowered girls and enlightened boys that we, we found, we founded enlightened boys there in, hmm. in this village in Tanzania, but we fund and staff empowered girls. And, um, so we get to see the expression of these, deep relationships, not just in cocoa, but also in the community, the surrounding community, yeah. um, as partners, not as white saviors to the village, mm -hmm. you know, here in Tanzania, but yeah. truly as partners to, to find out what they want and how can we, uh, facilitate and, and to just be alongside them as opposed to over them and telling them what the answers are. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too, I mean, I know I've gone into many stores and seen your chocolate bars and seeing that, that face, seeing, um, the statistics where they live, what they do, um, how they're impacted, um, impacts me as a consumer and not only, um, helps me feel connected to the product I purchase, but also calls me to a deeper social awareness as well. Well, thank you for saying that. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a, when you tell a story like this as a business, you have a, a, a great responsibility to be accurate and truthful mm -hmm. and honest mm -hmm. and, and also sensitive. I believe it's important to be sensitive to the culture and sensitive so that there's not exploitation yeah. and um but that there's also information so we mm -hmm. we have a we have a, a a fine balance that we have to create as we tell a story and we you know we want to sell chocolate bars and we want to tell a story and we want to, for people to care like you just said that you care and but we also recognize that there's a segment who of people who may buy our chocolate bar and they don't care at all. They're just like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good tasting chocolate bar that won some awards. I think we'll buy that one. And, uh, I'm, I'm aware of that. And so I think it's important to, um, I think it's important to, for us to continue on our mission 
and tell the story as best we can and speak Mm. to those people who care. And hopefully others will come along. But we have to recognize at the same time that we, we are trying to make the best tasting direct trade chocolate bar in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't want people to buy our product because um, I don't want them to necessarily buy it because of the story. I want them to feel connected to our company and the product because of the story, but that they continue buying the product because they believe in the quality of it. And I yeah. would say, um, and I know you will appreciate this, that there's these these things are tied together. So that is the relationship that we have with farmers and students. Those, those things, those vocations within the vocation are inseparable from the final product that we make. Mm -hmm. They are, they are not, they are so intertwined that we, I couldn't untangle them if I wanted to, and I don't want to. And so it's, it's what makes it what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we, our products and services are a direct result of who we are and how we behave and how we treat mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too, in the same way you want to have the same sort of integri- integral relationship with a consumer Absolutely. as well, even if they're mm-hmm. not as interested in um, the sourcing that they know how much you value the work that you do. Yes. And I think we're part, we are a little company. We're part of a larger movement um, and not just in food, but in fashion and um, um, household goods, all everything that we buy in order to uh, survive and thrive. I think that there's a movement underway of people who care about the origin of the product and who care about sourcing and who, who want to know more before they make a buying decision. But I, as I said, though, there are people who also, we know this from, not we, but the, the, the business world knows from survey data that there are people who say they care. Um, mm. And then their buying decisions would suggest otherwise. And mm-hmm. it's me too. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I saw this documentary called um, the true, true cost about the fashion industry, it was terrible. I mean, it was just shocking yeah. the conditions of some of these factories in Bangladesh. And I'm thinking, I go to the Gap and I bought a mm-hmm. T-shirt for a dollar. Well, yeah, look at I'm your not tag kidding and either. See, oh. Well, I mean, a dollar. I didn't think. You know, now I'm thinking about this, but mm-hmm. I was like, why didn't? I? Of course, it's a dollar. The reason it's a dollar is because it was made for ten cents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think the. I think even for me, and so here I am preaching, you know, care about, but so I, or, you know, the same could be said for any of these fast fashion or any fashion brand. And it's, it's, as I said, this is happening across industry, Mm. but there's, so when we're, we're facing this trend of Mm amazon.com and we're facing this trend of artificial intelligence, which the, the people uh, are saying that artificial intelligence will within the next decade, be making buying decisions for us. Well, there, if that's a trend, and I guess it is, then it also means that there's a counter trend. And I, I'm part of the counter trend, and I want mm, to participate yeah. and be part of that counter trend, just like I think that I, I think contemplative practice is yeah. a counter trend. And I think the work that you do, pilgrimage, journey, spiritual formation, community, mm-hmm. these are all part of a counter trend movement. 
And I want to be part of that. And I think it's true authenticity. And Mm -hmm. what it, it, here's what it, what it boils down to is, um, that those people who want to make informed buying decisions and want to, that it boils down to will there and my, will our decisions be a reflection of our intended compassion for mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. around the world? Yeah. And, or yeah. even in our neighborhood, farmers markets. And, you know, so wh- how can we as participants in the counter trend express our humanity and mm-hmm. mutuality to each other. Yeah. And so these, we, you know, in the coming years, learning about origins and who the makers are, and this will become easier and easier um, information to obtain. And then I hope and believe that these places will be um, chances for us to express kindness. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And what I hear you saying too is that that it, inqu- it requires that intention that you were talking about, that when we're not paying attention, when we're not aware, it's easy to not notice, easy to simply consume. Yes. Um, and so that same intention that brings you to contemplative prayer and to exercise those muscles at the Abbey, uh, that same intention in developing those relationships in Tanzania and beyond is the same intention that is required. Um, but in order to match our intent, we must act with intention. Right. Well, and it's our, this is, this, this is the expression of our true self. Mm-hmm. This is, I, so this, what we're talking about, I mean, this is who God created us to be. Um, I don't think God really cares if I'm a chocolate maker or not, but I think <laughs> that, but I think that God intends for me to be, um, living out the fruits of the spirit yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. uh, and, and so he, when I pray for those opportunities, he grants that prayer. He will give me those chances to express those fruits. Mm-hmm. That's that, th- that prayer is one that is always answered, <laughs> uh-huh. you know? Oh, I know it. And not always, you know, always in a challenging way, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> To flex those yeah. muscles, huh? Right, right, right. <laughs> Got to lift the weights first. Exactly. You do. Mm. Well, I imagine, I know you said you just got back from this trip with students, um, high school students, local mm-hmm. high school students. And um, I'm curious, what kind of shifts and mm-hmm. even consciousness that you see happening in them first, you know, having this international experience, cross-cultural experience, and um, maybe what even your hopes are for them upon returning home to bring this intention back into their daily lives and um, how they interact with the world. The unique thing about this trip, um, and I've, like I said, I've been doing it for a while. Half of the kids are private pay, the other half are scholarship. They're all very bright, but half of them are are in some degree of poverty and could never afford to do this. So we raise the money for that. But, but these, when you talk to these students and it's a very competitive program to be part of this, uh, we have, a, you know, like 80 applicants for 15 spots. And so mm. um, the, you ask students, well, why do you want to be part of this? Uniformly, they all have some variation of the following. I want to help the people of Africa. Well, 
Um, I tell students once they're selected in a in our orientation meetings we have before the trip and and in the intense sessions we have on Drury University campus before they leave, I tell them a lot and say, mm-hmm. look, your job is not to help the people of Africa. Your job is to let your heart be transformed, which mm-hmm. is much more challenging than raising 15,000 bucks to drill a water well or raise money for textbooks or mm-hmm. raise money to build a preschool. Or So opening your heart, letting it be broken, and then bringing that back to the world and um, applying that in your daily life is your challenge. That's your yeah. job. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that every student that we've taken in the last 10 years has had that experience. But the unique thing about this is, is that we, my company, we have such a deep relationship with this farmer group that when I bring new students to the group, they welcome them as if they're members of the family. Yeah. Well, and with just 15 students, I imagine over a week, they can get to know them. Oh yeah. And their kids. By name at least. Yeah. And their kids. And Mm -hmm. so the, the best example, um, which is from last trip, I mean, I'm still talking to the trip, the kids from this trip, you know, they're still kind of just getting their legs under them now because we just got back. But one young lady wrote me a note and said, I realize that I need Tanzania more than Tanzania needs me. Hmm. And Hmm. I was like, Oh, you get it. That's Mm. what I, that's what I'm going for. That's the kind of experience that I hope that they have, even though it's just this short term experience and that, what is that? Well, it's humility. And Mm. so I'm hoping for humility Mm -hmm. Um, as these students begin, you know, to think about college and to think about their own travels in the future and to remember back, maybe I'm still in touch. In fact, today I was in touch with a young man who was on our trip 10 years ago and, um, or in 2010. And so I still, you know, talk to these students and now they're in careers and I, I know that they can look back and maybe think, okay, I remember that trip. And it, it, it gave me a chance to recognize the importance of being a humble traveler. Mm, um, and mm-hmm. so that's one of the main things that I hope for. And of course, when we interview students, we're looking for students who can use this experience as a catalyst for their, mm. their hopeful careers or whatever they want to do. And um, so teachers, doctors, lawyers, nurses, missionaries, you know, all of these kinds of students we've had on the trip. And, and some of them want change their minds. You know, we had one young lady who came back last time and she was going to be a journalist and now she wants to be a teacher and she's, Mm. and she's helping us in our summer school programs. And so, you know, that this is, um, when I take students on these trips, it's very gratifying for me to stand back and observe them, um, Mm -hmm. and to see them, open their hearts to this experience and to watch that unfold, like literally like a flower blooming is something that I'll never forget. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, this next set of questions I I like to ask everyone. And so I'll 
shoot them at you and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. So if you were going on pilgrimage, where would you want to go next? I want to explore um, the depths of my own consciousness. And mm. so um, I'm, I'm working to deepen my meditation practice um, post-morning prayers. And um, it's not really so much centering prayer, although it's kind of like that, but it's really more truly a, a meditation. Yeah. And so that's that's the pilgrimage that I'm really very interested in right now. Oh, is yeah. The, and a just pilgrimage the of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I want to, sure. and, and I have had some experience with this um, in in meditation in the last six months. And so that's that's where I really want to go. I want to to plumb the depths of my own consciousness. Mm-hmm. And where, where do you hope that journey takes you? I hope that it takes me um, to come back from that, from that, uh, well, from that hero's journey in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope, I hope I come back um, from those experiences um, with a, a greater expression of, kindness and, and in my daily life and, um, gentleness in my, in my own day toward others. That's, that's what I hope I come back with. Yeah. Mm. I love that. And are there any journeys apart from that, that you're on right now in your daily life? That is the, that one is a really big one for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, I continue to struggle with, um, social media. Um, mm-hmm. uh, of course my business has it, um, to the nth degree and my daughter thankfully runs that. And I have, you know, my own personal things, but I'm trying to sell a book. And so I, I'm kind of on there and I've been off of it for six months and I really enjoyed being away from it. But, mm-hmm. but, um, so it's kind of a daily journey for me right now to um, find the right balance and to not um, um, get lost in that um, yeah. um, world. Mm-hmm. Because uh, again, I think that if we can't, and I saw it in our students, and, and, and I don't think they'd mind me saying, but once we got back to Wi-Fi in Tanzania, yeah. They were like glued to their phones. I have a picture of mm. every one of the kids <laughs> looking at their phone mm-hmm. once we got back to Dar es Salaam and Wi-Fi land. You know, they were. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's a it's a thing for me right now. I think it's a journey, if you will, to yeah. to find the right um, practice of social media and how how does social media and its use overlay um, contemplative practices. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm open to f- yeah. finding those answers. Well, and it seems like that conversation of kind of absent-minded consumption as yes. well. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Having the actionable intention to bring you out of that space and to see clearly what's going on. Yeah. My, I have probably 4,000, I don't know, maybe 3,500 friends on Facebook. I don't even know 95% of them. <laughs> but one of the things that I've found that I do like Facebook for is it gives me an opportunity to see um, how I need to deepen my um, intercessory prayer life. 
And so mm. when there are people, pe- you know, people that I know who are sick or have children who are sick and, or people who are struggling and they're willing to share this, you know, on Facebook, then I'm going to put them on my prayer list. And, um, it's one of the ways for me to keep up with, you yeah. know, the, you know, if somebody just had a surgery or if they're mm-hmm. recovering from chemo or something like this, I really want to have the chance to know that so that my prayer can be, you know, as specific as possible. Oh yeah, definitely. And just one of the many ways that it can be used with intention right? Um, right. as a benefit that we didn't have before. That's true. Well, to end, well, first I want to make sure people know where they can buy your chocolate because I don't want to get away from this <laughs> oh, conversation you. without giving people that opportunity. Thanks. Um, the best way really around the United States is looking at our website, askanosi.com, and we ship all over the country, even in the heat of summer. And then, of course, on our website, there's a zip code locator to see if there's a store that carries our chocolate. And we sell to about 900 stores around the country direct with no distributor. And so that's the best way um, to get our chocolate. And then if people want to um, read my stuff, um, they can go to seanaskinosi.com and uh, and then you mentioned the book at the yeah. top. So, yeah, that's available, too. Perfect. Yeah. I imagine there's links to the book in both of those places as well. Yes. Well, to end, I want to be sure to ask what are some steps um, or some practices, some tools that listeners can take and use to begin to approach their daily lives and their work in the world with that awareness and intention um, that we've been exploring, especially when it comes to being conscientious consumers as well. I would say two things. The, the, if I could talk to your, one of your listeners one-on-one and they said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what my vocation is. I don't. And if I could only ask one question, I would ask, where does it hurt? Hmm. Where is or was your heart broken? Hmm. And, um, I believe the truth of um, the statement from Khalil Gibran in my book that our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. And Mm -hmm. so I I would want to ask them, where does it hurt? Let's talk about that and let's take it um, to joy and, and how can that help and how can that be expressed in our daily life? Mm -hmm. And then, and then, um, so anyway, I think, I think that's the best, um, one and then the tool is and this is maybe more of a a challenge than a tool and that is do you know someone who needs you and serve them mm-hmm. don't wait someone in your family a friend a neighbor and you're thinking but what does that have to do with my future career well it's gandhi said if you want to find yourself lose yourself in the service of others so i'm not suggesting that the ends are justifying the means i'm saying really think about just one person you know, who needs you and roll up your sleeves and start serving them without any expectation of something in return. And, uh, I think those two things are, will go a long way in helping people find themselves and discover, discover their, their true selves. Yeah. 
Well, and it's no surprise then that even though you have a full business, that so much of your work has become the work of service to those vocations inside the vocation. Right. It's, it's mutual. You know, I, I receive, I receive so much from that work that it's, I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd love for you to share um, a benediction uh, with us before we end. I know you said um, before we started recording <laughs> that it might be a bit of a challenge. So this, this we is welcome hard. that. This <laughs> we is can't the, journey without yeah, challenges. This is where the rubber meets the road. There's nothing nice about this Thomas Merton quote from The <laughs> Silent Life, published in 1957. But um, I first read it in Thelma Hall's book about Lexio Divina. Um, and I've underlined it and highlighted it and put it in my journal year after year. Here's what Merton said, 1957. And it's my challenge, not so much a blessing. Um, Mm. Here's what he said. It is the need to have everyone else bow to our judgment and accept our declarations as law. It is the insatiable thirst for recognition of the excellence which we so desperately need to find in ourselves to avoid despair. This claim to omnipotence, our deepest secret and our inmost shame, is in fact the source of all of our sorrows, all of our unhappiness, all of our dissatisfactions, all of our mistakes and deceptions. It is a radical falsity which rots our moral life at its very roots because it makes everything we do more or less a lie. Only the thoughts and actions which are free from the contamination of this secret claim have any truth or nobility or value in them. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates and a free pilgrim guide at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. And subscribe to Pilgrim Podcasts through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be grateful if you leave a review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. When you leave a review, it helps other seekers just like you find Pilgrim Podcast. To find out how to leave a review, visit asacredjourney.net slash podcast. I'll be back again next month with another conversation on practicing pilgrimage at home and abroad. Until then, blessings on the journey.